What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Next Level Freedom Church podcast. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church in Jackson, Missouri. If you're seeking a church family that can help you grow in your relationship with Christ, or maybe you just want to check us out online, be sure to check out our website, www.nextlevelfreedomchurch.com. I hope today's episode will inspire you and encourage you as you fulfill the destiny God has for your life and fulfill your divine purpose in God's master plan. Thanks for tuning and God bless. It's a longer intro than my normal series, but there are a lot of names of God in our scripture. There are eight names that we're referring to in our Old Testament that we've been discussing over the last four weeks. This is the fifth week of this series, and we're going to be talking today about yet another name. And we'll do a real quick review for for those of you who this may be your first time tuning with us. If you're tuning online, let me go ahead and introduce myself. My name is Trenton Cruz. I'm the lead pastor of Next Level Freedom Church here in Jackson, Missouri. We are so glad that you tuned online this morning. But once again, I want to give you an invitation. If you're not, if you're perfectly able to get out, come and join us next Sunday and be a part of what God is doing in Jackson, Missouri. Those of you here, welcome. Welcome. Welcome back. Today we're going to be continuing the series called Who Do You Say That I Am? When we've been talking about the names of God. Because when you call on God, it'd be nice to know who you could call on for certain needs, correct? Now we find out in Scripture that His name is actually Yahweh or Yehovah in English. The way we transliterated it over into English, which has a little bit of a history by itself. And that word actually means that it reveals His readiness to save His people and to act for them. Thus the name Yehovah, or I am that I am, can be rendered, I am with you, ready to save and to act, just as I always, or have always, been. And as we've mentioned before, you're going to get to hear that quote throughout this series. That is actually a quote from Larry Lee. He's a minister, slash, I believe he's still pastors, possibly. And he wrote a book called Could You Not Tarry One Hour, which talks about how to pray. It gives you an outline, a foundation of what Jesus meant when he's gave us what we call the Lord's Prayer. So it's an awesome book. If you're going through NLU classes, we're going to be talking about it in NLU, and we're going to be reading that one and going over. Because prayer is important. That is actually the fuel behind what God does through a ministry. But over the last several weeks now, we've also been talking about the five benefits of the New Testament covenant. For those of you that aren't familiar with that or haven't caught any of the other messages, the five benefits of the New Testament covenant First of all, you're asking, what's the New Testament covenant? The New Testament or New Covenant, which is what testament actually means, new promise, is actually Jesus. Jesus came. He died. Because before that, we had the Old Covenant or the Old Testament or the Old Promise to which we had to sacrifice animals for sins. We did it once a year to cover up our sins for yet another year. But Jesus came and made something different. Instead of covering up our sin, he erases our sin. And I hear an amen right there Because that right there is why we're here That's what we do So there's five benefits of that covenant Which we've been discussing over the last several weeks The first couple of weeks we talked about The forgiveness of sin and deliverance from sin's dominion In those first two weeks we talked about Yehovah Sitkenah Which means the Lord our righteousness Because remember we're not actually righteous We're declared righteous is what the Bible tells us Because of Jesus' blood Because of his sacrifice on the cross. The second week, which still fell under that category, we talked about Yehovah Makadesh, which meant the Lord who sanctifies. It's his sanctification that allows us to be free and to live free. 
Then the next couple of weeks, we talked about the number one, the second one, which is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about Yehovah Shalom that first week in that part, which is the God's peace. We talked about it means the Lord of peace, but it's not just talking about peace as in the lack of fear or the lack of noise or anything like that. It's talking about peace as in God's peace, which surpasses all understanding. Then the second week of that, which was last week, we actually talked about Jehovah, Jehovah Shammah, which means the Lord is there. And you got to hear the, a little portion of my testimony when I surrendered to ministry, how I got started on all of this and where I went from a mess to switching. Not going back there this week. I want to encourage you, if you hadn't caught that, you can go online and check that out on last week's message. Because this week, you're going to get to hear some more. And I'm going to continue as we discuss this next topic, which comes into point number three of the five benefits of the New Testament covenant, which is the promise of health and healing. For those of you out there listening to me, oh, he's one of those preachers. Yes, I am. I believe God still heals because I've seen people heal. If you were going to try to convince me that I serve a God that still no longer does miracles or anything like that, you should have caught me at the beginning. Because now that I've seen it, there's no going back. I've seen people healed of cancer on the spot. I've seen people, and I've heard, I haven't seen this one, but I've heard this from my pastor and other pastors. People's limbs growing out right in front of them when they prayed for healings. People that maybe had a shorter leg, and the leg grew as they were praying over that person. So yes, God still is a healer. I've seen people healed from Crohn's disease just in a prayer meeting on a Wednesday night. They feel, and they all describe this one thing, which is a warmness that comes over their body. And the next thing they go, they go to the doctor that week, and they're healed. Whatever's been their ailment, whatever's been in them is gone. So I've seen it happen. You're not going to be able to convince me my little cousin himself is a miracle baby. The doctor gave the mother a choice. It's going to be you or the baby. Who's going to survive? She said, you know what? We're going to have this baby. And they both came out. And he's in college today. He's out getting his degree. So in his mom's territory, which is physical therapy. So he's out getting his doctorates. So don't tell me God doesn't still do miracles. Because I believe he does. And one of those miracles we're going to talk about today which is health and healing. Let's go to the scripture that brings us to that in today's topic. It's, actually, I want to read you this quote real quick before we go to that scripture. Now, I don't know how to pronounce this last name correct. I think it's Spanish. You might be able to help me. But uh, there was actually, when I Googled this name, there were three of these that popped up. I'm thinking it was the first one, which kind of had a lot of weird beliefs that were kind of out there. But this quote that he gave still has truth to it. Listen to this quote. His name is Carlos Constanida. Constanida. There we go. See, I got Spanish people that obviously can help me with that. It's, he says, we either make ourselves miserable or we make ourselves strong. The amount of work is the same. There is a lot of truth to that statement. Now, the book I took this out of, once again, is a leadership book. It's talking about leadership. Because we've all got to endure leadership pain in order to move forward with what God has. Because not everybody's going to like you all the time. Not everybody's going to agree with everything you say. you just got to accept it and move forward because you know what God has called you to do. So here's the question, especially if we're talking about healing and health. We either are going to make ourselves miserable... Or we're going to make ourselves strong. The amount of work is the same. Can I go somewhere with you for just a moment, especially if you're tuning online and you're here? Do you know that without going spiritual on this, that your brain 
is so powerful, science tells us that you can think yourself sick or you can think yourself well. Now tell me there's not something to that scripture. The Bible talks over and over about the power of the tongue because the tongue is what speaks out what your you know, when body reacts to whatever you speak. So if you're speaking negative and you're speaking sickness and illness onto your body, your body reacts to that. That's science. That's not even spiritual. God knew it before that. But you talk it and everything responds to your tongue. That's why the Bible talks about your tongue being the steering of your ship. It steers it and takes you wherever you're going. It talks about the power of the tongue all the time. Because your tongue is a powerful instrument. And a lot of people don't realize that. So they're constantly speaking negative over themselves or illness or health issues. And then they wonder why their body reacts that way. That's science. Now let's talk God. In Exodus chapter 15, verses 25 and 26 says, and this is actually after, after Moses is taken to the people of the wilderness. They, they're thirsty. They come to the stream, but it's bitter water. And here's what's good. And he's getting ready. God's getting ready to give an order to make that water pure. He says in verse 25 of chapter 15 of Exodus. So he cried out to the Lord and the Lord showed him a tree. When he cast it into the waters, he threw the tree into the waters. The waters were made sweet. There he made a statute and an ordinance for them. And there he tested them. Verse 26 is where our name comes from this week. The very end there. It says, and he said, if you diligently heed the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in his sight, give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. Now notice there's a lot to that. It's not just you get what you want. That's what this society tells you. Go after it, get what you want. You got to work for it. Now check this out. Continuing on there. I will put, wait, I think I skipped the part. Give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes. No, I was right. I will put none of the diseases on you which I have brought on the Egyptians. It's talking about the plagues that he did to Egypt. That's what it's talking about in that instance. Check out the last part, though. It says, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, he was talking to Israel in this case, but it reflects to us as well. Now, in Hebrew, that name is Yehovah Rapha. Which is the Lord God who heals, or our healer. Yehovah Rapha. That's the name we're going to be talking about today as we continue this story. Now, I'm going to wait towards the end, and I'm going to talk to you a minute about the testimony I promised. Because I want to get to the story in Mark chapter 5, and verse 25 and 26. It says, Now a certain woman had a full of blood for 12 years. 12 years. Now, we don't know for sure, but the way it's described... Many theologians and doctors think this is related to some sort of cancer, some sort of blood cancer that she's had for 12 years and had suffered many things from many physicians. She had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. Anybody ever been in that spot? You feel like everything you're trying to do is making it worse. It probably is. But here's the problem. Here's the deal. I want you to catch in that. Point number one is we all seek hope. We all seek hope. No matter what you're going through out there, no matter what you're going through here, we're all seeking hope. Hope's what keeps us going. If there was no hope for tomorrow, there'd probably be more of a suicide rate. But there's hope. People are seeking hope, so what they need is a glimpse of what that hope is that's coming. Here's what James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4 says. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. 
He's saying, count it joy when I go through something. What? Now let's continue reading. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work. That you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. That's that P word that none of us like. Patience. You gotta have patience. Now, some of you out there have been gifted with the gift of patience. You got more patience than the rest of them. I'm not a very patient person myself. I wish I was more patient, but I'm not. I struggle with patience sometimes. I want things right now. We live in that microwave generation where we believe we need everything right now, but sometimes. It takes time to make some good wine, <clears throat> right? It takes time. If you're baking a cake and you throw all the ingredients together, it takes time to do that and to prepare that cake. So when it's done being baked, it comes out of the oven. Delicious, right? Kind of what God does with us. It takes time because we've got to realize that what we're going through in life, the struggles we go through are to strengthen our character. They're to build up our faith. Because here's the deal. The more God does for you because of your faith, the stronger your faith becomes. Because, you know, you may have started down here. Maybe this was when you first got saved and you had a little bit of a need in your life. And you asked God, hey, God, can you help me with this? Whatever it was. And then God answered your request. And now all of a sudden, you got a little more faith the next time you approach him, right? Oh, God answered the last time. Let's see what now. This is pertaining to things we need, not things we want. We approach him the next time and we got a little bit more faith. And then when he answers that request, it builds. And it's kind of like it does. It stacks. It makes our faith grow. Jesus described it as a mustard seed. A mustard seed starts as this itty bitty thing. You plant it in the ground and it flourishes. And even the birds of the air can come and rest on its branches. That's faith. What Jesus was getting at in that parable was that it grows. It starts little. And the more you go and the more you activate it, the more you use it, the more it flourishes. And then birds resting on branches. Here's what I've always received from that. Then you're able to help others who are not got the faith you've got yet. They can come and rest on your branches and go off of your faith so that they can plant their own mustard seed and flourish some more. Let's continue reading there in verse, verse 27 of Mark 5 where we left off. It says, when she heard about Jesus, she came behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if only I may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. The second point is that Jesus is that hope. We are all seeking hope, but Jesus is that hope. What did this woman tell herself over and over and over in her mind? And the way it's written here, it seems that she had been thinking about this for a long time. If I can just get to Jesus, if I can just touch the hill of his garment, I'll be healed. She's tried everything else. She's been to every doctor there she knows to go to. They've all given her things and it's only gotten worse. None of them have been able to help her, to strengthen her, or nothing. So she's coming to him as a last resort. She says, Jesus, if I can just get to him, if I can just touch that garment, because he is that hope. Check out what Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 5 says. It says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Though whom all we have access by faith, or through whom, I'm sorry, through whom all, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations. What? 
That's those trials we're going through. We glory through that. Why? Because we've got our hope placed in Jesus, not ourselves. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character. Character, hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. So even though we're going through something, maybe you're going through something right now. What life has taught me and people I've heard through over the years, you're either going through a storm, you've just gotten out of one, or you're getting ready to go through one. We've always got one coming. The question is, how do you handle that storm? Where is your hope lie? Is it in things you can accomplish, or is it in God? It's your hope that He is going to be able to pull you through. Continuing there in verse 29. So she's been repeating this to herself over and over and over, probably as long as she's known about this Jesus guy. I've got to get to him. I've got to touch him. I've got to just touch his garment. That's all I need to do. Now check it out. Verse 28 said, if I only may touch his clothes, I shall be made well. Verse 29 says this, immediately the fountain of her blood was dried up. because She just touched his garment, all right? And she felt in her body that she was healed of the affliction. Possibly that warm sensation that I told you that many of the people that have been healed on the spot, they all describe this warm sensation that comes over their body and that they are healed in that moment. And their next doctor report says, we can't find it. Whether it's cancer, whatever, anything out there, God's still capable of healing. And that hope is what keeps us continuing. Verse 30 says, Jesus and Jesus, immediately knowing in himself that power had gone out of him, turned around in the crowd and said, who touched my clothes? Point number three is, he can heal us if we believe. But that belief is only strengthened by that faith that we're continually working. So you start with something small. Kind of like Gideon. Here, God, show me this. I'm not going to go through his story. That's just take too long. But you ask God to do this. As he does that, you begin to perform more and more. And your faith begins to grow. As your faith grows, then this belief thing that they're talking about begins to grow. Because he can heal us. Remember what happened here? She touched the hem of his garment. That's all she had to touch. She was healed immediately. And Jesus felt it leave him. And he turned around and said, who touched him? We're going to talk about her response here in a second. But here's what 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 18 says. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Some of us don't realize that. Maybe we're too young yet. But from the moment you're born, your body begins dying. Now, when you're born, you've got the best hearing, the best eyesight, all this that you'll ever have in your life. And as you grow, it all decreases. And that's how we know that we're dying. But yet we're living, Right? Didn't say that to be negative. Just want you to understand that even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Verse 17. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Kind of sounds like the definition of hope in Hebrews 11.1, 1, right? Faith, faith is the substance of things hoped for. Oh, I might have said that backwards. Faith is seeing it before it actually happens. It's seeing what you believe. Believing it's there before you actually receive it. That's what faith is. And continuing there in verse 18, it says, But the things which are not seen... For things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. When God saves your soul, your soul is an eternal being. We are a three-part three being. 
We are, we are a spirit that lives in a body that has a soul. And that soul is what God saves. Check out Mark 5. We're going to get ready to wrap the story up and get moving into the testimony part because I want to allow time for that. But his disciples, starting in verse 31 where we left off, said to him, You see the multitude thronging you and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see her who had done this thing. Because you see point number four? He knows us individually. Doesn't matter that the crowd was pressing against him. And if you just read the descriptions of scripture of Jesus' fame, he was probably swarmed with people wherever he went. That's why the disciples were like, you want to, who touched you? Do you see all these people? But Jesus knew there's one person that touched me that got something. Now he wasn't going to condemn her for it, but this is what he says to her in a minute. But he knows us individually. Luke chapter 12. So if you're asking, well, how do I know God knows who I am? Check out what Luke chapter 12 says, verses 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two copper coins? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Now check out verse 7. But the very hairs on your head are numbered. The very hairs on your head? Now some of us have fewer hairs than others, Right? It's always funny to hear all preachers speak this message because it's easy to count, right? Anyway, I'm just kidding. Do not fear, therefore, the second half of verse 7. You are more of more value than many sparrows. So you've got a higher value than that. God knows the number of hairs on your head, so that's how you know it's personal. Scripture tells us it's personal. He knows you. Verse 33 and 34, as we wrap this story up, says, But the woman, fearing and trembling, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. Point number five. Our faith is what brings us through. So we're all seeking hope. When we realize Jesus is that hope, then we realize he can heal us. We've got to believe it. The faith grows. Point number four, he knows who we are individually. And our faith is what brings us through. So the fact that he knows us individually is what makes him it's unique. He's the one God you can hear about that is personal. He's personal. There's all these religions in the world. But this is the only religion, if you want to call it a religion, I don't call it that. But if you want to call it a religion, that God comes to us. The rest of them, they're out there. We've got to reach to get them. But God comes to us. Check out what the Hebrews 11, 6 says. Now, this is going to be the same chapter. It's Hebrews 11, 1 that gives you the definition of faith. But check out what verse 6 says. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. This woman was diligently Seeking after her Savior, which was Jesus. I want to read one more verse and I want to talk to you a minute. Because I mentioned the testimony. We're going to get to that right now. Because I do believe God's a healer. But I, want to, I figure sharing part of my story might help you out. Psalm 145, 18 and 19 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth. He will fulfill the desires of those who fear him. He also will hear their cry and save them from the affliction. Now, check it out. Some of you are sitting out there, God, and you're mad at God, right? You, you've been sitting out there, you're watching, you're like, you know what? I don't believe this God. See, this is where a lot of atheists lose sight. 
They get, don't get something they thought they should have done. Not yet, I'll let you know. They, they don't get something they thought should have happened, so they just quit believing. Now, just because you say with your mouth that you don't believe in God doesn't make him any less existing. More than I can look at you and say, Felipe, I don't believe you exist, but you're standing right there. So it doesn't matter how you claim on that, but here's what I want you to understand. God is a healer. God can give you health, but it doesn't always happen. That doesn't mean you give up on him being a healer because he's still a healer. God has a reason for everything. By this, I wanted to share my story. My mom, 2000, I think it was three. We were at a youth event. I, she was the youth minister at the church I was in at this time, and I was kind of under her. She found out I got into ministry, so she had given me opportunities to teach Bible study, to teach Sunday school. And I was brought on this trip as a chaperone to a thing called Ken Freeman. Those of you who recognize that name from last week, he's the one that actually went through the prayer that I accepted Christ at youth encounter in 93. He does a week. I don't know if he still does it, but at that time he was doing something called Wild Week. It was a youth camp that lasted a whole week. And you get away and you go. And I had been one or two years before this. Now I was chaperoning because I was too old to be a youth. And I went along with my mom. That same week, my mom, the youth minister, the one I would always come to. And I could come home in no matter what time of night. And I'd look over on the couch and I can still see her in my mind. She'd be sitting on the end of the couch where she always sat with the lamp overhead reading her Bible. Now I walked in and I'm like, you know, that's mom reading her Bible again, right? Like I wasn't necessarily reading at this time as much as I should have been. I was beginning to because this is after what I told you last week about how I surrendered to ministry. So this is a few years later that we're at this camp and my mom just falls to the ground and starts having what appears to be a seizure. In the middle of the camp, I'm having fun. Now, at this day, I can still tell you at that point when it happened, I'm one of those guys, I didn't like it to interrupt my fun. Because now I was going to have to go with my mom to the hospital. I was having fun. I wanted to stay and hang out with the kids or whatever. But we were going to have to take her to the hospital because she had what appeared to be a seizure. Now, I didn't see the seizure. I came. They came and got me. I was on the other side of the camp because this is a huge area. They came and got me and said, Trenton, Trenton, come. Your mom, quick, it's your mom. So I came and I ran to my mom's side. And she was, by this time, she wasn't screaming or anything anymore. She was laying there, kind of panicked, you could tell. And so once I found out what happened, I was walking back to the dorm room to get my stuff because I knew we probably wouldn't be back once we took her to the hospital, which was, I don't know, I think it seems like it was a local hospital, but we ended up going to Springfield, Illinois, because this was actually in Illinois. And I went to get my stuff, and I remember my mom saying, Trent, where are you going? Because she wanted me to be with her. I was like, Mom, I got to go get my stuff. I'll be back. And we took her to the hospital. They couldn't find anything. So what they did was chalk it up to a mini stroke. Well, sometime later, and I'm not sure how, this stuff continued. She'd be driving down the road and she'd have to pull off to the side because she knew it was getting ready to happen. Something was causing her to panic. She could feel it. She would try to describe it to me, but I can't tell you what she was feeling. All I can do is tell you what she described to me. She just could feel it was coming. What would happen is she would lose her speech. She wouldn't be able to talk. So she'd just start screaming, panicking. Because something was blocking her from talking. And it, it happened over and over. So they took her to a brain specialist in Cape Girardeau, right over here at Southeast Hospital. I don't know, remember his name at this point. But, uh, and they found a tumor. A tumor on my mom's brain. And they did go ahead and operate. She, she gave her permission. Because what they did was they, 
He thought they could get it, most of it, without hitting the root of her brain, which is causing her a lot of her functions and could kill her if you go too deep. So he thought he could, so he took it out. And that was, we hadn't heard nothing about it for a while. So she went several months and they go back and they check it, all things are okay, it's still the same. In February of 2003, so I guess it was 2002, I was at that wild week, because it was February of 2003, I was at a revival in Jonesboro, Illinois. I went to see Brady Weldon, he was a, he's an evangelist, he still does it, but he was, he was one of my favorites, and I was going to see him. And at the altar call, I felt God speak to me, much like he spoke to me last week. I told some of you last week, he spoke to me when he called me. Well, this is one of those instances. I was sitting at the altar call, in the pew, and God says, you're going to lose your mom in a year. Are you ready? This is my reaction. I was quiet. And I started crying. Because everything had been okay. She'd been going back. Everything was fine. So I started crying. I went to my wife now. I went out and called her on the phone and told her kind of what God had spoken to me. And so we left it at that. And I was continuing to live. And that summer... It had come back. It came back. The brain tumor had come back. And it was beginning to progress. So between that time and her first surgery, she had had nine operations to try to get this thing out of her head. Started out benign, which means it's not cancerous, if you don't know what that is. And then it went malignant. Well, it was kind of a mix at the end. It was cancer, benign, kind of mixed all together. We didn't find that out until we read the doctor's report in a magazine where they had done an article on mom. She had done one of the first surgeries in Cape where she was wide awake during the surgery, the brain surgery. I don't know how that all went, but she wanted, they wanted her to be able to respond. They were trying something new. So because she was the first one, they did an article in the Southeast, Missouri, or Southeast Hospital Magazine. I'm not sure what it's called. And in the article, that's what we found out that he had turned malignant. He hadn't done this. Now, I had two options at that point. I could have been mad because of that and took it out of the doctor, but we didn't. She continued. She had a few more surgeries. January 2004, my wife now, she wasn't my wife. It was about a year later we got married from that point. But we went to visit her in ICU uh, after one of her operations, and she was smiling. She had this huge smile on her face. She was pointing at the foot of her bed. Had her eyes cute. Now you gotta understand, my mom loved angels. She collected angels. It was one of the things she did. She had a whole china cabinet full of angels. And a lot of them my sisters ended up with. But she was pointing at the foot of bed with a big smile, and we walked in and like, Mom, do you see something down there? And she couldn't speak, so she nodded her head. Because at this point she's still getting over, I guess. She nodded her head with a big smile and she kept pointing. Now to this day, I still believe that the foot of her bed was either an angel. Or Jesus or somebody was there with my mom. Even though she couldn't describe to us what she was seeing, she saw something. One month later, February, I believe it was 28th, 27th, 2004, my mom passed. We had prayed for her healing. Why do you bring this up, Trent? We had prayed that she would be healed. Now, probably not as much as we could have been, but we were still praying that she would be healed. We have we pray. When this happens, you gotta understand at this point, my mom is the person I go to whenever I got questions about scripture or something, an idea God has given me. She's always been in my support. And now she's gone. 
I don't believe any less that God's still a healer. If anyone should have stopped believing, that would be me, if you ask me. Because I believe God was a healer, and he did not heal my mom. What happened? Many people at this point turn their backs on God and decide, we're going to go this direction. But you know what? He is still Jehovah Rapha. He is still our healer. He can still heal us. I share all that to share this. It doesn't always happen. But that doesn't believe, mean that we stop believing that he is a healer. It just should help us press more into his healing and seeking after his healing and be able to still tell people he's a healer. We're going to pray with you. He heals. My mom passed February 27, 28. My sister will know the exact date. 2004. My world was turned upside down. Who do I talk to? Who do I go to when I got these questions? Now, I'm not saying God made her die. What I am saying, though, is from that point, God used what was evil for the good. And from that point, I began to grow and develop myself. I wasn't depending on her anymore. I couldn't. Now I began to grow and mature myself. It was hard. There was a morning season. But today, standing in this pulpit, I've still seen him heal people. I don't, and I can't explain to you. You can come and play, but don't get ready to wrap up. I can't explain to you why it happens for some people and why it doesn't for others. All I can tell you is that God's will will still happen. That's hard to understand. That's hard to receive, especially when you're talking to someone as close as to a parent, maybe a loved one. Maybe you've had a similar instance. And I almost wore my brain tumor awareness t-shirt today. It's got my mom's name on the back of it. And it was me, but I didn't. I said all that, and I said this again, to tell you that no matter what it looks like around you, he's still healing. There are things we can't explain. Why? Why? The big question is why? Why, God? Why did it happen for them and not for me? But if we really start thinking about it, that's a selfish question. Instead of celebrating with your brothers and sisters because they've got a miracle, we tend to go in our own and why couldn't it have happened to me? And that becomes selfishness, which turns to bitter and it goes down a road you don't want to follow. Maybe you're out there listening to me and you've never heard it like this before. Maybe you've always heard people talking about he's a healer, but in your life, individually, you haven't seen the way you thought you should. Let me encourage you, he still is Jehovah Rapha, our healer. He's still God. He's still in control. He still knows what he's doing better than we do. I can't explain your hurt. I can't explain your situation. All I can do is tell you he loves you. God loves you. And that's why he sent his own son to die for your sin. Jesus was in a heavenly throne. He's sitting in heaven looking down. He could have stayed there and none of us would have that hope. But instead, God sent his son. We celebrate his birth at Christmas. We celebrate his death and resurrection at Easter. But do you know, could you imagine what Mary must have been thinking? Knowing she was burying the Savior of the world. He was being born to die. 33 and a half years later, he died. For us. To give us an opportunity. You're sitting out there and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Let me encourage you to say this prayer. You say, Dear Jesus, know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross for me. And I believe you rose 
starts there. You have to accept it. We talked a minute ago, you have to believe he is. That's what the one scripture told us. We have to believe that he is, which means he exists, in order to get to the next part, which is believing that he can, that he can do whatever it is we've called him to do. He's still our heavenly father. He still loves us. We can't explain all the bad things that happen in life. All I can tell you is you remember whose kingdom you're in right now. We live in a fallen world. We handed the keys over to Satan. Satan's ruling things down here right now. Jesus is coming to take it back. Right now, remember whose kingdom you're in. That's all I can encourage you with. And know that God loves you. He wants to see you saved. He wants to see you become a believer. He wants to do miracles in your life. But you got to believe it. If you can't get past your own self-doubt, you're not going to go further until you get past that. If you've been saved, I want to say welcome to the kingdom. If you meant that from the bottom of your heart, remember salvation is not a prayer. It's a lifestyle. Your next step is baptism. We're having baptism Sunday, next Sunday. That's June 2nd, 2 p.m. Trail State Park for some that are need to be baptized. We encourage you. If you need to be baptized, show up next Sunday. We'd love to baptize you. Welcome you into a family where you will be loved. Thank you for tuning online. I'm sorry I don't have time to go further. I've already went longer than I would like. Thank you for tuning online. I hope you'll tune in next week when we're going to be talking about the next name of God. God bless us.